Again, may I say it is good to be here. It is my intentions this evening to review a few things concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if you would allow just a little bit of humor in the pulpit, but sometimes I like to indulge. Story is told, at least, of a group of Christians that were gathered together in a something of a compound or retreat situation, and one of them <clears throat> saw the Lord coming. He was startled and he was amazed and he hadn't really expected the Lord at this time and he ran into the <clears throat> speak to the group and addressed the leader and said the Lord is coming the Lord is coming he's coming right across the courtyard what shall we do and the leader responded look busy I guess that is really one of the main things that I would have to say. The Apostle John made mention that everyone that has this hope within himself purifies himself even as he is pure. That is the good part of the good news of the coming of Jesus Christ. It has an effect upon us that is without measure. It acts as an agent in our lives to help us to purify ourselves. It's God-given. It's the thing that he has promised to us, and he has given it to us that it might help us know him, understand him, and live for him. Everyone who has this hope purifies himself even as he is pure. I think then it is correct to say that the teaching of the coming of Jesus Christ is a purifying agent. Let us read our scripture. It is taken from the gospel according to Luke. The lesson begins with verse 35. Listen for the good news. Let your loins be girded and your lamps burning, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the marriage feast, so that they may open to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom their master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will gird himself and have them sit at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or the third and finds them so, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the householder had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You 
almost also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, great is your name in all of the earth, greatly to be praised. Your will be done in this world as it is in heaven. And we pray, O oh Lord, that while we wait and while we watch, that you will choose to make us agents of change. That indeed we may submit ourselves to you to experience the change ourselves in the lives that we live, but that we may also be, as it were, the salt of the earth and the light of the world to change the surrounding society in which we find ourselves that we may help proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, that the world may know him and through him your love and find peace and consolation and sure and certain hope of things to come. In our Lord's name, amen. We mentioned last evening about the beginnings of the Adventist movement in the United States and named at least one name and perhaps a few others as people responsible for the beginnings of something that was very special in the Christian community at that time. It is true that out of that grew several very significant groups of people, or communions as we call them. Out of the Miller movement grew the Church of God, of the Abrahamic faith, the Advent Christians, and the Seventh-day Adventist. Not that they today have so much in common, but one thing central in their teachings and that they all have in common is the teaching of the coming of Jesus Christ. For ever so many years, we were the ones that almost stood alone in heralding the coming of Jesus Christ. Today we find ourselves with a great deal of company when it comes to the proclaiming of the second coming of Jesus Christ. However, we still have justifiable pride in that the second coming of Jesus Christ is the very fabric of our faith. And it needs to be because we need in our own lives the things that can happen because of that. And just as we mentioned that the 19th century was the beginning of some of these things in our own country, the 20th century has been rewarding in quite different ways. 
Because the 20th century has been laden with signs and fulfillment of these signs of the coming of Jesus Christ. It's been an, it has been an exciting century. And some of us have been privileged to live a lot more of it than others, perhaps. I how well that I can remember back in the late 30s and early 40s at the beginning of the Second World War that it was something of a field day for we who watched the prophetic word and compared it to the situation of the world. Because at that time something very special was happening in the world. The nations were lined up in a way that it looked like that the coming of Jesus Christ would be immediate, that it was indeed at hand. The things that were happening in Europe, particularly in Germany and Italy, and also was emerging in the Middle East with Israel, and the sounds of war that was cried, and the invasion of Russia and the Russia being invaded and all of the things that was taking place at that time, we had every reason to believe that the coming of Jesus Christ was right at hand. It seemed that that fell apart, however, within a span of a very few years, and we no longer had those things to look to and the signs to point to and said, surely the coming of Christ must be at hand. And somehow we wonder how it happened that we could have been mistaken. But perhaps it is being mistaken in the same way that we mentioned last evening about some of the mistakes that were made by the Adventists in the 19th century. And we learned some lessons, some very valuable lessons, that God works in very special ways to accomplish the things that he has said that he is going to accomplish. And when we look back through time and all the history that has taken place in the church, we observe that each and every generation that has lived since Jesus Christ was upon this earth has had a reason to believe that he would come during their time. And this has had a very good purpose for each generation, and it has a purpose for our own, to keep us awake, to keep us alert, and to keep us watching. Does this mean that we make one mistake after another and each generation is doomed to repeat the mistakes of the preceding one? Not at all. Actually, when we speak of the signs of the times and the fulfillment of the prophetic word, we're not so much as saying, here is a sign, it is written, and now it is fulfilled and most certainly the coming of Jesus Christ is to follow. Rather, we like to see these things as signs of the presence of God in the world. And perhaps this is one of the things that we should place emphasis on as we consider the value of the teachings that have come to us through the passage of time and experiences that we have had as Christian people watching for the coming of Jesus Christ. For everything that has happened has reinforced the fact that God works in history, that God is extremely active in the things that are taking place in the world, and God takes his time. And what he has done once, he will do again.
And one of the remarkable things that we cannot help but observe about it, that each time that it happens, it seems to multiply in its intensity. If he says that there are going to be earthquakes in diverse places, that is a sign. But with the passing of years, we find that the earth begins to shake a little harder and a little more frequently. And the intensity of the earthquakes pick up to the point that each time it happens, it happens with a greater intensity and becomes more destructive than it was before. So whether we're looking at the signs upon the earth of the passing of the nations and the things that are taking place there, or looking to the starry skies above, we're seeing that God is present in all of these things. And every time, God gets a little closer, and the fulfillment of the prophetic word becomes a little bit nearer than it was before. These are the lessons that we learn from the history of Christianity and from the observance of the prophetic word. And may I repeat one thing that I said last evening because I think it is central to the things that we're concerned with at this time. That prophecy is not given unto us to make prophets out of us. That is to say, we do not read the prophetic word in order to tell each other with some amazement what is going to happen tomorrow or day after tomorrow even. But prophecy is given unto us that we might observe the passing of things and events in this world and after that they have taken place that we might believe. So when we observe these things that took place within our own century, we question what has really happened. We've seen two great world wars. And certainly we could go into the prophetic word and document this line and that line and say a lot about these things that have taken place within this century. But if you will allow me an overview statement, I will simply say that God has been working in marvelous ways with his own people of Israel, the land that lay so dormant for so many centuries experienced a reawakening. And the Zionist movement found itself dead in the water. And the First World War literally, actually, really opened up the land of Palestine for resettlement for the Jews. But it didn't happen. The people who were watching the prophetic word at that time said, this is it. Christ is coming. Look what's happening in Israel. They were not wrong. They were just over anxious. The people of Israel did not go back. And then with the passage of a few years, we have another great war, a world war, a war that saw the devastation of the entire planet. Then what happened? The Jews went back. Under severe persecution in Europe and finding no rest or home elsewhere in the world, they went back to their homeland. 
It is really graphic the way the prophets describe this event that God sent forth hunters and fishermen and even with hooks in their mouths led them back into the land. It was a violent experience and an experience of judgment. And Ezekiel particularly is so dramatic in the way that he describes it. But the Jews went back. They had no other place to go. In the process, of course, millions of them died, but they found their home again. And then in the intervening years, even in those years, as we just mentioned in the very beginning, we expected it all to terminate, to come to a climax. But again, perhaps we as Christian people praying for the coming of Jesus Christ were a bit over-anxious because God was taking his time. The signs that we saw in the nations and their lineup for the fulfillment of the prophetic word, particularly the apocalyptic scriptures in Daniel and Revelation, no longer existed. And 40 years later, we find ourselves still watching. And what is happening? There's been a Cold War. It seems like everything has been put on hold. But God, in taking his time, has been working with the people, with the nations, and rearranging things, and once more getting them into position. I dare not, I would not want to tell you what is going to happen next. But I will say this. For some of the things to happen that must happen, or that we feel that must happen before Jesus Christ's kingdom is established, once again the nations must line up in a certain order to fulfill the things that God has in store for his own people, the people of Israel, because he has not worked out that drama to its completion as yet. So as the First World War opened up the land and they did not go back and the Second War drove them back to the land and now they are there, we can expect additional things to happen within the nations and it is ripe. More so than it has ever been before. Let us not be over anxious. Let us not say this is it. But let us say this, that God is proving himself to you and to me. And he's giving us a reason to rekindle our hope and establish our faith. And once again, we see the ripeness for the alignment of the nation for the final conflict of all time that shall be centered around the apple of God's eye, Palestine and the people of Israel, the people of the covenant. These are some of the things that we expect politically in the world, in our world, and how easily it could happen in our own time. We see as well the fulfillment of the other signs of God's presence in the world when Jesus was questioned when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? 
He made mention that nation should rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There should be earthquakes in diverse places and famines and pestilence and fears and men's hearts failing them for looking after the things coming upon the world. That was Matthew's account, and when Luke adds his account, which is the same account of the words of Jesus Christ and his prophetic teachings, he makes mention of the social unrest within our world. He says, It shall be like it was in the days of Noah. They did eat and did drink and they married and were given unto marriage until the day that Noah entered into his ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. And he goes on to say, as though to give emphasis to that statement, or as it was in the days of Lot, when Lot went out of Sodom and fire came down for God out of heaven and devoured them. But it was because, as Jesus points out, they did eat, they drank, they married wives and were given in marriage, and they bought and they sold and they builded. So he adds a few words into that which he had already uttered or had been recorded by Matthew. So he's speaking of a social unrest and a social climate that is extremely disruptive. And we don't have to be all that wise or clever to say that this accurately describes the situation that exists in our world today. As we see drug cartels more powerful than the government's that are supposed to be ruling over them. And the corruption of the youth and the fast downward trend of the morals of our country. These are some of the things that indicate that our Lord knew what he was talking about when he described the things that would happen in time to come. This century has been an uneventful century. It has been a century that has kept us on the edge of our seats, except for a few years in between here and there, that unfortunately some people have been lulled to sleep thereby. But I hope that we have remained awake and alert to the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again. And when it comes to this matter of the century, I think that we have something that we can observe in God's prophetic word that is very, very special to us. One of the things that we have written in the New Testament are the words of Peter in his second epistle. And he talks about scoffers in the last day coming, men following after their own lust and deriding the promise of his coming and saying, where is it? Because since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning. But he also said some other things here that are very significant. And one line in it we would like to pick up particularly because it is one of the most significant clues when it comes to the calendar that God is keeping. He said, do not ignore this one fact. Interesting that the writer would say that after saying so many things, after harking to so many prophetic words, here a little and there a little, that he finally says this, 
Do not ignore one thing. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. God has a calendar, and the time is ticking off, and he gives us clues. We do not know, or we are not privileged to know the beginning of the ticking of the clock or its end, but we know something of the time. That is not just something that is nebulous or way out there or without meaning. The writer was saying, be not ignorant of this one thing. Because he was at that moment focusing in upon the fact that God is not slack concerning his promises. And he was saying that we should set aside those who scoff at the coming of Jesus Christ. For God is not slack concerning his promises. He's on schedule and he knows what he is doing. Where are we today in time? we find ourselves in the closing century of 6,000 years. And the clock is still ticking. And when will the alarm go off? When will Jesus Christ come? But we are encouraged when we see the presence of God working in human history as we have in our own century and undeniably doing things among the nations, in the earth, and in the heavens above that he's never done before, the signs of God's presence. And so it is written and it is said by Luke and it is said by Jesus that when you see these things begin to come to pass, then lift up and look up, for you know that your redemption draweth nigh. And another thing that is written there and recorded by Luke, this generation shall not pass away until all of these things be fulfilled. Friends, we have every reason to hope as the generations that have preceded us have had their reasons and very valid reasons for their time, we feel like that we have more because the preponderance of evidence is accumulating. It is stacking up, it is heaping up as never before in all of the history of God's people or the history of this world. It isn't just a matter that time is running out, but that time is being fulfilled. And that God is on schedule and doing some of the things that he has done. Why do we talk about these things to make profits out of us, to be able to amaze and dazzle our friends, and to stun the world that surrounds us? Not at all. but rather that our faith might be reconfirmed and renewed and that we might 
continue, as it were, to sit on the edge of our seats, watching the great drama that which God is involved, and be ready for his coming again. Let your loins be girded and your lamps burning. Be like men who are waiting for their master to come. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say unto you, he will gird himself and have them sit at table, and he will come and serve them. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. Everyone who has this hope beating in his breast purifieth himself even as he is pure. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the blessed hope. Be with us. Help us to prepare. May our hearts be found in tune with your ways. Keep us awake. Keep us ready. Keep us watching. Keep us prepared. We pray in the name of our blessed Lord that we expect to come. Amen.